Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Michelle Beck, and I'm the host of Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I'm a two-time, nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. Today, we are talking about such an important subject. What is cancer survivorship? Such a huge, daunting, scary, out-of-this-world topic. For those of you who've been through it, you get it. But I'm thrilled today to welcome a woman of many talents, Leslie Heron. Her bio lists her as a nurse, nurse practitioner, and nurse coach. She's also the owner of The Green Labyrinth, providing education and support for those addressing grief, loss, and burnout. Well, gosh, I think we all need to go there. Um, She also has so many letters behind her name and the skills to back it up. I had the pleasure of meeting her a few years ago at a presentation that she and her daughter did for my young survivors group on sex and intimacy after cancer. Her daughter, Gretchen, is a sex educator, and she was actually on the show over the summer. So check that out if you have questions about sex and intimacy after cancer. That was back in, I think, August. Um, But... I am just can't wait, Leslie, because I know that you have so much information. So let's let's get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Oh, well, thank you, Michelle, for inviting me onto the show. And this, I just have to say that, um, you know, to follow up the intimacy after cancer thing, I am passionate about cancer survivorship. I, mm-hmm. um, I am a, a nurse and nurse practitioner, nurse coach, and, and one of the favorite populations for me to work with um, are cancer survivors. And I did do um, cancer survivorship specifically as my, you know, day-to-day work job Mm -hmm. uh, for a little more than seven years at a major cancer center in Seattle. And, um, And that was after about 20 years of primary care. And in primary care, I would see, you know, my patients in, let's just say, new patient, well, physical, and someone might be younger than I expected and have some early skin cancer, or they might be younger than I expected for, I don't know, maybe like some high blood pressure or mm-hmm. thyroid problems or, or something like that. And, um, you know, do a little more digging in their history. Oh, they were a cancer survivor. And, and this came up time and time and time again over, you know, 20 years in, in primary care. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was interesting to me that especially some of our very young adult, um, uh, folks wouldn't even list cancer on their health history, but I'd be doing their exam and they'd have a port scar and I would be like, (laughs) Oh, um, did you have cancer when you were a kid, yeah. by chance? Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, and and they would be like, yes. And I would be like, hmm. And you have, you know, a low thyroid and some high blood pressure, which I wouldn't expect for someone in their early twenties or their, you know, early thirties. And and um, so I feel like that's really what drew me to cancer survivorship. And when I hit that point where my kids were, you know, at college, and I was ready to shift shift things a little bit. I, I, I looked for a position in cancer survivorship so that I could really learn more. And uh, I, I just don't think our, our health system really 
knows a lot about cancer survivorship. Mm-hmm. And um, so I dove in with, you know, with all four feet and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and really tried to learn what I could. And it has really become my passion to um, help healthcare providers learn about cancer survivorship and, and really help cancer survivors themselves advocate for themselves to learn more and know what they need to know next. And that's, that's so important because as, as listeners out there, you know, when you finish, when you are done with cancer treatment and your, your oncology team, your medical team has done everything that they can kudos to them and thank you. But typically they say, bye-bye. And, mm-hmm. and we're left going, what the hell just happened? So, and I'm sure we all kind of think of it differently, but how do you define cancer survivorship? Well, I, and, it, and I really like to pull it, pull it apart. And I'm going to start just like you just asked with what is survivorship? And, um, and it really is the period that you just mentioned. It's after cancer has been completed. You know, you've, you, you know, you've rung the bell. You've, <laughs> you know, you've, you've got your discharge papers. Maybe you're not due back for six months or, or, you know, or even, you know, you've hit that like three year point or five year point and somebody said like, Hey, we don't need to see you for, you know, for another year, or maybe we don't need to see you again. You know, wherever that point is where you're done with your active treatment. Now, you might be on maintenance therapies or things like that, but your active curative treatment has ended. And and that phase that, uh, you know, that treatment phase is, is over. And now you're into this survivorship phase. And, um, and that is really survivorship. It's, it's the care that you need once your active treatment has completed. That makes sense. I literally just experienced that myself. I am almost five years out from my second diagnosis and my doctor who I love, and, you know, I feel like we have a good, you know, I feel like he's my side boyfriend because I see him so much. Um, we, he's like, yeah, after your next appointment, we can move them out to every year. And I was like, hell no. Like right? I'm, there's no way I'm moving out every year. Like I don't, I don't care what he says or what my insurance says. We have a date every six months and he's going to keep that. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And, and that, you know, that kind of leads into, you know, so who, who is a cancer survivor? Mm-hmm. And, and if you go with what the American Medical or the um, American Cancer Society says and, and kind of the definitions are that a, a cancer patient is a cancer survivor from time of diagnosis through the, through the end of their life. And, and okay. that, that's a great that's a great thing. You know, everybody is surviving, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's getting through the day. Um, but really when you, when you look at kind of, when do you start classifying yourself as a survivor or when do I need to, you know, when, when do I need to get that? Um, okay. You do, I don't need to see you for a year. And you're like, mm-hmm. you know, hell no. And, right. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh no, you're going to see me in six months. You know, when, when can we start accepting for ourselves that kind of that mantle or that title mm-hmm. of, of being a survivor? So I feel that, 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 it's such a um, it's it's such a boggy thing. Like survivorship, we can go like, okay, your active treatment has ended, and now you are in the survivorship phase. But when are you a survivor? 
is really kind of a, a mental shift yes. that, that happens. And I, I hear from, uh, oh gosh, I hear from patients so many different things like, um, oh, but I only had a little bit of cancer. So, um, so am I really a survivor? I, you know, I didn't really suffer too much. So, so maybe I'm not a survivor. And then I hear from other people that maybe have gone through two transplants and, um, uh, you know, are, are, you know, are, still in kind of a, a boggy middle land of whether they're really going to recover or not. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a survivor, man. <laughs> you know? So it, it's mm-hmm. very interesting to me how that that putting on the, the you know, the name tag that says survivor, um, it, it, it just really, it's very unclear. It's a, it's a big boggy, boggy it mess. It is. And, you know, you know, can it be classified as the time that you're no ed- evidence of disease, you know, you're NED or you know the treatment? It's a very personal decision. And obviously, I know that not everyone likes that term survivor. And especially yes. now when approximately 30% of women who have breast cancer will eventually get diagnosed metastatic, you know, and they most, I'm generalizing here, but the metastatic women that I know do not like that term survivor. And when it's, it's great. And I, I appreciate that because it's a very personal decision, but you know, I, I know some people use the words like women or like impacted by cancer or, or a thriver. So it, there is such complicated language out there. Yeah. I would have to say that, you know, we, sometimes you just get the label that gets slapped on something and, and unfortunately or fortunately survivor seems to be what has stuck. And so um, I, I encourage people, you know, kind of like, I don't know, taking cod liver oil or something, you know, just, just close your eyes and pinch your nose and swallow <laughs> it and, 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 uh, and hopefully at least use the resources that are labeled survivor. And if you want to cross that out and write something else in, please do. But, um, but I want you to embrace at least the resources that are there. <laughs> yeah. And in a perfect world, cancer would just be, we would be done with it when we were finished treatment, but that doesn't happen. Can you explain a little bit more like what, what really patients are going through after they're finished with cancer treatment? Why do they need the survivorship period? Yeah. Oh, that's such a, it's, it's just a, it's the question that, that, you know, I don't know, keeps me engaged every day in the work I do, I think. Because, um, you know, we, we, you know, let's say, and I'm just going to take it to a non-cancer thing, but let's say you get a bad cold, uh, you know, runny nose, cough, you know, a little bit of fever, and then it kind of hangs on maybe for a, a couple of weeks and you feel tired and maybe your nose is still raw because you were blowing it so much. But then, you know, but then you go on and, and a month later you're like, oh, wait, when was that cold? But that isn't how cancer works. Um, <laughs> with, with, with cancer, um, you finish treatment and you have these lingering things, um, fatigue, um, maybe uh, hair thinning or hair loss, uh, maybe some muscle weakness, um, uh, maybe lingering nausea, maybe headaches, you know, whatever that is. And you expect those to go away. And um, 
and those are called um, those are called long-term effects. So imagine that the long-term effects are kind of the lingering things that you have. And maybe some of those take six months. Maybe some of those take two weeks. Maybe, you know, maybe some of those take a year and your hair is growing back and now it's straight instead of curly or whatever. But And, and so you look in the mirror and you say, oh, look at that straight hair. That's a long-term effect of me having my cancer. It started during my cancer treatment. And and, and this is the result. And those are the things that maybe we expect. And so we know it's really not over when it's over. You know, you finish radiation and they say, woohoo, you're, you know, you're done. You know, this was your last of your series of radiation treatments. You're done with radiation. But then the fatigue continues or, you know, skin needs to heal or, or whatever. We kind of anticipate those. Then the the sneaky part of cancer, I think, and this is the part that that we just don't we don't talk about, or when we do talk about it, we're like, oh, it's in the future. Don't worry about it right now. We'll talk about it later. Um, or that we, as cancer patients, we almost can't hear because we're in the moment and not mm-hmm. not thinking two years out. Is these things called late effects? And that's the piece that for me is really that it's not over when it's over. Mm-hmm. And and these late effects can be something like um, we know that if we had sun exposure and got a bunch of bad sunburns at summer camp when we were nine, um, that we might be at increased risk for skin cancer when we're 40 or 50. <laughs> yeah, yep. I'm raising my hand here because I had my, my fr- I'm incredibly fair and freckled and I had my first skin cancer about a year and a half ago. There you I was go. Like, I was like, can I not just be over fucking cancer, please? <laughs> No, my skin, my skin was saying, I want to be part of the party. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Pick me, pick me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and so we kind of anticipate that like late effect, if you will, of, of um, sun exposure when we're kids and, and maybe being at risk for skin cancer when we're older. But then we get this, oh, I had radiation during my cancer treatment. Now I am at increased risk of skin cancer in my radiation field, which oftentimes our radiation fields are not in sun-exposed areas, <laughs> mind you. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so that is a late effect that oftentimes people don't even think about. Or let's imagine there okay, was- Okay, I um, had never heard of that oh, before, honestly. Like literally. There, there you go. <laughs> and, I've, and I've been radiated. There you go. And and so these are the things that um, that make logical sense when you hear them and you're like, oh, right. Okay. I had radiation in, you know, along the, my underarm that certainly hasn't gotten, you know, much sun exposure. And, um, and now I'm, I'm at increased risk, maybe five years, 10 years down the road for a skin cancer in my armpit area, which is not a place I go looking for skin cancer because I haven't no. had sunburn there and and it's like it makes logical sense when you hear it but you haven't ever heard it before right Mm -hmm. you learned how to take care of your skin during radiation but not uh but you didn't hear about it in that context right you didn't hear about it for a late effect well and also these are the kind of things that really keep me up at night (laughs) well and also for me in the course of my two cancer journeys i've i've had five surgeries and I have I have lingering scar tissue that is hard and not pliable and and painful. I have numbness. I have I had to go through 
rounds of physical therapy and I still do myofascial therapy to get all of my parts working again from the effects of everything that I've gone through. And, and then there's also the, all of the side effects that I deal with, with my, my medication, you know, the, a lot of women are on for breast cancer, either tamoxifen or the aromatase inhibitors. And I am literally like the poster child for side effects. I have them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think part of, part of my survivorship is dealing with all of those and figuring out how to have a good quality of life while dealing with the hot flashes, the joint pain, the memory loss, the, the crabbiness all the time, the, the, my vagina, that's a Sahara desert, like all of these things that come with it, you know, dealing with that is hard. And no one says after cancer, oh, you're going to have all these things. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, they're you're like, like oh my gosh, they're, you they're, look so good. You look great. The can't, the, you look great. The cancer's out of your body. You must be wonderful. And I'm like, actually, my life is, I'm alive and I don't have cancer, but my life is a shit show. Please help me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and really that is that thing, whether you like the term or not, that is what survivorship is all about. It's really helping you take that, that lo- those long-term effects. What can you do and be proactive about with those? And then what about these late term things? Can you prevent them? What can you do to make them less? Um, and, and really, uh, you know, like what should you be watching for? And, uh, and what, what can you help your primary care team and, and other healthcare providers know to look for and help you improve the chances that it's not going to be so bad or might not even happen at all? And my oncology team, they did offer a survivorship meeting. Um, and I, I took it, but honestly, I remember nothing from it because I was still so close into my treatment. I know I did it, but that's all that I know. <laughs> Listeners, stay with us. We do need to take a quick break. Remember, you can donate to Breast Friends on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to ensure that no woman goes through cancer alone. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444. Or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. 
you may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Leslie Heron. We've been talking about cancer survivorship, that phase after treatment when we kind of have no idea what's going on, and we really probably need some help and guidance. And unfortunately, I was lucky, and I was offered a survivorship education, you know, with a, with a nurse one-on-one, but not all oncology teams talk about this survivorship phase or, or late effects for their patients. Why is that? Leslie, what do you think? You, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give the healthcare people a little bit of a buy in that um, it is, it, it's a fast paced world uh, working in oncology. Mm-hmm. You have, um, you know, you, you have a number of patients on your schedule. And of course, not everybody comes in getting the best of news or, um, you know, with everything going well. And so you get behind on your schedule. And even if you have in the back of your mind, like, oh my gosh, I should write up a referral for a survivorship visit, or I should talk to this person about what maybe they should be thinking about two years after cancer is over, what ends up happening at the visit more times than not um, is, how are you today? Are you having any side effects? Your blood work looks great. Let's get you up to infusion, uh, you know, and, and, you know, let me know if you've got any questions. No. Okay. I'm on. <laughs> well, and, and, and yeah, I've talked about ahead. this before with, with others. It's there, there's the good patient syndrome because we want, yeah. how are you feeling? We're, I'm fine because we, we want to be, it's, it's like, we're, we're trying to impress our doctors and we don't often tell them and or we forget in the moment all the things that are going on so we're like okay we're good let's just move on we're good mm-hmm. and we're oh, exactly. clearly not good <laughs> and and you don't know what you don't know so you're not going to sit there and say oh i'm i'm good but i was wondering how i might be in three years <laughs> why right why are we going to ask that question and you because we don't even know that we should be worried about three years down the road because three years down the road we're going to have a clean bill of health and we're going to be back at work and moving on and and why would we even want to like bring in the 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 the, the ghost of you know the future right. we want to put uh, we want to put cancer in the rear view mirror Exactly. And, and your, and your healthcare providers in oncology are in the moment as well. And they're like, oh, good. Your labs look great. You're off to treatment. Or, hey, it's your three month follow up visit, your six month follow up visit. No evidence of disease. Great. Or, you know, you are three months or six months into a chronic metastatic, but everything's stable. So we're going to see you again in a couple of months and, you know, keep eating that, you know, that good, nutrition and, you know, getting your physical therapy. And so everybody's really focused on the moment. So I'm going to say they're not not telling you because because they don't want you to know or it's, or it's, you know, whatever. It's just really not what is in front of them at the moment. And it's also not what's in front of you as the patient at the moment. And so it just kind of doesn't happen. You know, I, it's, it's like taxes, right? You know, it's like all of us know they're coming, but it's not like you're like, so have you done your taxes, you know, in, you know, say like in September, it's like, you know, we all know they're coming. Um, but, but it's, just not the topic of the day in September, right? right. It's the and topic of the day, April 15th. 
and like I'm sure before cancer treatment, we all had primary care doctors. And once I went into my cancer treatment, like it was like I didn't even have a primary care doctor anymore because I, everything is so focused on the cancer. And so our primary care doctors are also really disconnected, I guess, from what we've gone through because that's not their job. But I, I you know, I wish they were all somehow in a magical world better connected, but that's not the case. You know, and it's not even. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take it one step further, Michelle, and that it's it's not even that they're not connected. They're not tr- they're not trained. Mm-hmm. And and you know, when we think about how medical school goes, you know, and we've all watched the shows, right? Everybody's watched Grey's Anatomy or whatever, mm-hmm. and and um, you know, we know that there's there's interns and there's residents, and you know, the resident has to choose. You know, am I going to be a surgeon? Am I going to be? Am I going to work in neurology? Am I going to work in the ER? And and when they do that that training, they they focus then, and and maybe our our primary care people are focusing on family practice, or they're focusing on women's health, or or something like that. And and yeah, they get a little bit of education in oncology, a little bit of general education. But I can tell you, your primary care provider doesn't know that metuzumab just got approved for something something, or or you know that there's a combination of anthracyclines and something else for sarcoma. You know, I mean, it's just like they're, they're like, oh, my patient has cancer. I am going to send them to oncology and oncology will fix them. And, um, and thank goodness, most of the time the oncology does fix them and send them back. But I'll tell you two things that happen. And this is, you know, from my history of being a primary care provider, People do go into the cancer system and then the primary care is cut off. Maybe they don't get any chart notes. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't get a phone call saying your patient's doing great or not doing great or or anything like that. And then the other thing that happens in oncology is you're in there, you know, all the bloody time. And, 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 you know, so if your blood pressure medicine needs refilling or your thyroid medication needs refilling or something like that, um, your oncologist is doing it. Your primary Mm -hmm. care is sitting back there at their clinic, you know, busy. Dealing um, with colds. (laughs) Exactly. And broken ankles and whatever. And, and, and you're kind of like, well, you know, Michelle went off to get her cancer treatment. She must be doing okay because I haven't heard anything and I haven't seen her. Um, and then you drop back in, you know, a year, a year and a half later. And then the primary care person is like, oh, here you are again. I, You know, how are you? And, and you play the good patient. You're like, I'm great. I'm doing really good. Mm-hmm. My cancer treatment's over. I'm a little tired. You know, but you just kind of pick up from, from mm-hmm. you know, from there and move forward. And so there's this huge, um, <laughs> this huge gap. You know, you don't know what to ask about because of your cancer survivorship because you haven't been told and you're not aware. You're, you're on, you're primary care provider is thrilled to have you back and now maybe has resumed taking over your blood pressure medicine prescription, but really has kind of a year gap that they don't know what what you even mm-hmm. had. And, and so even if they did have an idea that they should be thinking about survivorship, you know, you're not telling them maybe that you've got symptoms and they don't know that those symptoms are related to your cancer. Um, 
and your cancer treatment. And there's just kind of, we just like pick up and, and move forward. And I think all of us need to just kind of stop the bus and, and mm-hmm. the oncologists need to, you know, either talk to about survivorship and late effects and what to watch for or refer you to survivorship visit that can do that. Your primary care provider needs to go full stop and say, wow, you have had big big treatment. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Let's schedule a longer appointment. Talk me through what you had and what you know what you know I should be watching for. And and I kind of we all need to kind of take a pause <laughs> and then recognize that this is a whole phase of care that you're, you know, we think about, ooh, you know, not having cancer, then diagnosis, then treatment, and now we've got survivorship. It's a whole phase of care. And for better or worse, your primary care is the person who's going to be handed the responsibility for that phase of your care, but truly they haven't been trained for it. Very few of them really know um, what what to watch for, and how best to take care of you during this new phase of your cancer treatment. And so as a, as a patient, you really need to be your own advocate. You need to talk to your primary care doctors, but also if you have other specialists like your cardiologist, your dermatologist, your dentist, your, your eye doctor, they all need to know these things as well because it can affect things that are going on. Like for me personally, every time I go to the eye doctor, my prescription has changed and it's, it's, Blurry vision is a side effect and not one that's often talked about of the the medication that I'm on. Mm-hmm. And they're always like, well, what's going on? And let's test your sugars. You know, you're diabetic. I'm like, no, it's my cancer meds because that's what it does. And, you know, my dermatologist, you know, yes, like I had breast cancer, but an and skin cancer. So it's like I, I'm connecting all of them. And recently I fractured a vertebrae in my back. It's not healing well. And my assumption is because of the medication that I'm on that eats away at my bones to prevent the cancer. So it's everything is connected. And if we're not good about connecting with all of our practitioners, it's to our own detriment. So we we have to really be our own advocates and focus on that and getting the information out there and asking for help from all of our practitioners. Exactly, exactly. I, you know, dentists are are just a, a classic one in that suddenly um, after chemotherapy, there's more dry mouth. There's just more dry mouth. And if you don't have a moist mouth, then the bacteria sits on your gums longer. You get more inflammation in your gums or you get pocketing, um, uh, you get uh, uh, some gum recession that can happen. Um, you get more uh, opportunities. <laughs> oh boy, don't take the opportunity, but uh, more opportunities for inflammation in the lymph nodes and and um, and things like that. And so you get into the dentist, and your dentist is like, "Oh my gosh, you know, you have, you know, forty years, and you've never had a cavity, and now you have three cavities below the gum line. What the heck?" And you're like, "Oh well, maybe you know, I just actually finished my cancer." treatment and had chemotherapy and you know and as opposed to you know because because we're told while our immune systems are suppressed don't necessarily go into the dentist don't go have your teeth cleaned because you're immune suppressed um Mm -hmm. 
you know, things like that, or you're just busier than snot and, and you don't get in. And, and, and so then suddenly, you know, a year has gone by or a year and a half has gone by and you've had all this dry mouth. Whereas really, um, maybe during cancer treatment, going in for a real gentle cleaning every three months might be the better choice. And then um, going in and, and ha- you know, getting the approval from your insurance to have your cleanings three times a year instead of two times a year at, in cancer survivorship. And that might prevent some of those those um, late effects in the mouth. So, uh, you know, cardiology is another one that's um, some of our uh, breast cancer um, prevention medications um, can be, you know, tamoxifen and things can be very, it can be very hard on the heart. You tend to have echocardiograms and things while you're on them or anthracycline type uh, chemotherapies can cause some of those late effects 10 years out from treatment. You may have perfectly great looking echocardiograms during treatment and maybe 10 years out, we've increased your chances of things like um, valve problems or plaques or uh, blood pressure problems or things. And so um, somebody who has had a pretty good dose of anthracycline maybe has never had a problem with their heart before, didn't have a problem through cancer treatment, but perhaps if their primary care knew about this potential long-term risk, would be monitoring their blood pressure or their cholesterol a little closer. And if they were noticing there were some slight changes happening, that early cardiology visit so that you can have the echocardiogram six or seven years out from treatment, catch an early change, and then do all the preventive work from having it get worse um, so that so that you're actually doing the prevention. You're not going to go into a valve problem. You're going to take care of it early with the right medication. And, and those are those things in survivorship that if we just knew what to watch for, we could do the prevention. Yeah, thank you. That's it's it's like we're given a whole nother job on top of everything else <laughs> to to, think, to figure all this stuff out. Let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about other things that can happen down the road. So, can you tell me the difference between the risk of like a secondary cancer versus a genetic risk like BRCA or P10 or something like that? Exactly. You know, so 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 much of the time, you know, people are like, "Oh gosh, you know, I was I was negative, you know, it's like so, it's so un- unlikely that my, um, it's so unlikely that my cancer will come back or that I'll have a cancer in another breast or, you know, something like that. It's like, whoo, you know, skip that bullet. And, and which is true. It's like, yeah, you. And, and, uh, and if, if you do have a genetic risk, you tend to get in that high risk bucket and you get the screening. Um, you, you know, you have the, the more frequent follow-up. You, you know, you have um, the MRI instead of just the mammogram or, or whatever, right? Um, and, and so people are kind of with a genetic risk, you know, they're kind of aware that there's, that there's an increased risk and they know what to watch for or what to do about it. But secondary cancers are kind of a sneaky little late effect thing in that 
you know, like we were talking about with the radiation and the, and the eventual skin cancer risk. That's something that, that you just don't think about. It's not a genetic risk. It's not something that we can mark on a calendar and know when to start watching for, but, but we need to have an increased awareness. Other things that can happen, um, some chemotherapies can set people up for um, uh, some, some people um, can have chemotherapies that set them up for blood cancers down the road or changes in um, uh, changes in the way that their body metabolizes. We can also set people up for risk of kidney cancer or liver cancers from some of the chemotherapy treatments that they are on. And these are things that could be you know, five years down the road, two years down the road, or 15 years down the road, these risks for secondary cancers related to cancer treatment. Now, should patients be saying, well, I don't want this particular treatment because later it can lead to bad things down the road? You know, that is such a slippery slope. And I hear that from patients all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't want to have kidney problems, so I shouldn't be on chemotherapy. You know, I'm going to go do, you know, I don't know, high-dose CBD in Mexico instead. And it's like, no, 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 no. Um, we, we need you to be on the best medication for your cancer because we want your cancer to go away. We want to kill the cancer. We want you to, um, to be cancer-free. And so we, we need you to take the medication that you're supposed to take. But if we could just be aware that you need to have your kidney functions checked then every six months or every year, forever. And if there are changes, then let's get you into a nephrologist, a kidney specialist, and have them work with you to make sure that your kidneys are filtering right so that we can prevent a cancer um, down the road. You know, same thing with the heart, same thing with radiation. You know, we we want you to we want you to get the radiation and really get this cancer gone, gone. And then we want to watch the skin and make sure that it, it's good. And we want to, you know, biopsy or take off something that is iffy before it turns bad. So, so you need the treatment you need, but then you kind of need to pay the piper later um, with the surveillance. Got it. What you have to deal with what is right in front of you first and then worry about the other stuff later. That completely makes sense. Exactly. But I'm going to make a t-shirt that says that I want to get the cancer gone, gone. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But listeners, we do need to take a short break. Stay with us. I want to remind you out there that I put together Warrior Stories episodes. So email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org with your stories of inspiration, what helped you through your cancer journey or how your life has changed for the better since cancer. My email is michellebeck at breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. 
You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Leslie Heron, nurse, nurse practitioner, nurse coach, owner of the Green Labyrinth, and so many things. So we've been talking about cancer survivorship. Um, And I'm going to bounce back because I had another question about, like for me personally, I don't think that I honestly ever saw my primary care during treatment. Should Should we be doing that or just kind of after treatment ends and we're going back to quote unquote normal? That is is such a great question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my biased answer. Being having been in primary care for 20 years, I I had some patients who got diagnosed with with cancer, went off and got lost in oncology land, and then and then I'm very grateful that they came back to me as their primary care provider, and and we picked up where we left off, and that that was fine. Um, but I, I, I have to say that the, that the patients that I diagnosed with cancer, they went off into oncology land yet kept their lifeline back with me. I think I, I'm just going to say, I think they had a better experience and I certainly felt, um, like I was at least treading water with them through their oncology treatment instead of kind of having them land back in my practice uh, you know, like they'd been, you know, in another country for two years, you know. That's kind of and, where you end and, up. It's <laughs> like you really go off to cancer land and your yeah. life is completely in turmoil. Like cancer land is not a happy place to be. I would much rather be in like normal land with my primary care practitioner. Yeah. And and I have to say that, that you know, your, your oncologist, it, depending on where your cancer is, if you have a breast cancer, your oncologist probably lo- isn't looking in your ears. You know, your oncologist is probably not looking at that, you know, thing on the back of your knee. Um, you know, if you have, if you have a pelvic cancer, maybe your oncologist isn't looking at your breast or isn't looking at your shoulder, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. and so your primary care's job is to kind of see you as this whole person. And when you come in and you're stressed and your shoulder hurts and, you know, I don't know, your hemorrhoids are bothering you, your primary care person can take care of all that. When you go into your oncologist, they want to know, are your labs okay? And can you go to treatment today? And are you, you know, are you throwing up? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so even though your oncologist, yes, walks on water, 
and yeah. does really good work and 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 all that stuff just like we were talking about kind of with the uh, primary care people that don't get as much training in oncology your oncologist doesn't get as much training in primary care and, right and and so if you can even eke out you know a a twice a year or once a year visit with your primary care to keep them in the loop, um, you will, I, I believe, have better experience and maybe get more resources for some of those other niggly little things that are happening mm-hmm. um, that are maybe not cancer related. Yeah. So keep doing all of the things. Don't, yeah. You, you can't stop, you know, seeing your primary care, but your oncologist also is not taking care of those things. So they really need to be working in tandem. Now, as, as, as a patient, like how do, how do we really learn how to be the healthiest we can be in survivorship? That, you know, that there, there are so many incredible resources out there and, and, um, you know, looking even as, as simply as going on the web to something like the American Cancer Society website and then typing in in the search bar survivorship and you're going to get recommendations on things like how much exercise to get, what's a, what's a good post-cancer diet, um, things like that. So you can do the research on your own. Um, you can also... Uh, whether it's within your clinic or in or cancer institution or in your community, you can get on your search engine, Google or whatever one you use and, and put in cancer survivorship and put in your zip code or, or something like that and see if there is a, a cancer survivorship resource. Um, it might be in your cancer center. It might be, I know um, in Montana, the Montana Cancer Consortium kind of works with all of the regional hospitals. Not, not It's not tied to just one. Mm-hmm. So in your area, you might find it in your cancer center. You might find a survivorship program. You might find a, a larger survivorship resource. Um, on the web, you can find things. And, you know, and I just, I can't advocate enough for finding a cancer survivorship program or nurse, nurse practitioner, um, cancer rehabilitation, something like that. If you have something like that in your area and can get in either telemedicine or face-to-face to have them specifically go through what what cancer did you have, what treatments did you have, and what should you watch for. And that's called a treatment summary and care plan. Mm-hmm. And and those are just the gold standard. They're, they're not available everywhere. Not everybody gets them. I if I could change, take magic wand and change one thing, that's what I would hand every single cancer survivor is what did you, what was your true diagnosis and staging? What treatments did you have and where? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what things should you watch for right now, those long-term effects and what things should you maybe be aware of coming up in the future, those potential late effects? And then what can we do to, to work on those? You know, if it's anxiety and sleep problems, maybe a counselor, maybe a, a sleeping app or a meditation app, you know, that could help you with, with feeling more calm and sleeping better. If it's 
uh, skin, it's finding a dermatologist and wearing your sunscreen and not having excessive sun exposure, but maybe still taking your vitamin D <laughs> so that your yes. bone density is good. Right. Well, um, we, where we live, especially in the Pacific Northwest, we must have extra vitamin D. Like exactly. I, I love the rain, but we need, we need the sun. And if we don't get it, we need the, we need the vitamin D supplement. So be beyond that. That's one thing to add to your list. <laughs> Exactly. And things like, you know, like you were saying with um, with post-surgery, with lymphedema or with mobility or stretching, we don't want someone ending up with frozen shoulder or worsening arthritis because they're not moving. And But if you need help with being able to move, maybe working with a physical therapist or, or you know, an exercise, survive and thrive or, or some sort of program through the Y or, or, or through your local community center. So really that it's that self-advocacy to start the ball rolling. Maybe you do go on the web and say, Cancer Survivorship, American Cancer Society, and you look at that list and then you take that list into your oncologist or to your primary care provider and say, I have this, 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 and this. What are the resources you can help me with? You know, some insurance plans help pay for weight loss or smoking cessation or exercise programs or things. It's like, let's tap into that and and do the prevention. Yeah, that's really good because really our goal is to stay healthy long term to prevent prevent any future um, you know, future cancers or future ailments from coming on, but we really want to stay healthy and live a good quality of life. And so figuring out how to get all of these things taken care of is is part of the survivorship so we can move forward exactly exactly i just um i i feel like you know (laughs) we're all aging right you know that that's one benefit of uh, cancer survivorship is we get to keep aging and and uh, and so in aging you know we know that we know that we're at increased risk for things you know high blood pressure or high cholesterol or the thyroid problems or arthritis, you know, kind of name the aging list. And then we can take and kind of like put as an overlay, you know, the after cancer list. Mm-hmm. And and so if high blood pressure is on the after cancer list and high blood pressure is on the aging list, well, now we've kind of doubled the building blocks at our risk, right? And so what can we do? You know, eating a heart healthy diet, doing our Mediterranean diet, walking every day. Um, <laughs> you know, we know that we're increased risk for bone density problems as we age and maybe because of our cancer treatment. So what do we need to do? Maybe we put a soup can in each hand and and do some exercising. Maybe we do yoga. Maybe we do Tai Chi. Uh, You know, maybe we go to the gym, you know, uh, have our vitamin D, make sure we're eating calcium rich foods. All of those things, it's, it's, you know, yeah, it is. It's a, it's another full-time job doing self-care. Mm-hmm distance we age and it, and then we add that other part-time job of of doing self-care after cancer so it's you know it isn't over when it's over and and i you know i i don't want that to be a discouraging thing um i want that to be a motivating thing i i really want people to go like well darn it you know i didn't 
want to be old and feeble. And now I've got an increased chance of that happening. And I've got kind of the second lease on life after cancer. Let's use that as a motivator. And, mm-hmm. and how can I how can I optimize my health now and moving forward, prevent secondary cancers, prevent those late effects, or do the very best I can of moderating those so that I'm just as healthy as I can possibly be for as long as I can be. Yeah. And for for myself, like I'm 50 years old. I have a 10-year-old son. I've had breast cancer twice, skin cancer once, but I have a lot of life left to live. So in the course after my my second cancer, I've definitely been very proactive and I'm working on now my eating, my my weight, my I've seen the therapist. I, I've seen all literally you're mentioning all these things. I'm like, check, 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 check. <laughs> and yes, it's been over the course of almost five years, but all of them have really helped get the different pieces back in order to because I want to live a long and healthy life. And but I'm also I'm very fortunate that I found the organization that I did to give me the mental and emotional support to be able to get to this place because it's it's not easy to go out and you're exhausted after cancer treatment. All you wanted is it for it to be over, but it's really not. And mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of like a hard lesson to learn, but once you get it, you're like, okay, this is my life now and these are the steps that I have to take to move forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I did have one question I want to kind of pop back to. So I know that it's becoming more prominent, but it's genetic testing. So say you didn't have it during your cancer treatment for whatever reason. Should people go back and do it? Because I know there's even like home screenings now that you can do. Is that something that you recommend for people? I think that that is... is it's a it's a great question to pose to your oncology team. Some people certainly had a, a total one-off cancer, you know, and 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 it doesn't tie into any genetic risk that we're aware of right now at all. And all and and so maybe they didn't have any genetic testing done at all, or maybe it's been ten or fifteen years ago when we didn't do routine genetic testing um, to to go to your primary care provider um, if you're no longer seeing your oncology team or if you're still within that window that you're seeing your oncology team asking them so I had blank cancer you know I had colorectal cancer you know 15 years ago nobody tested my tissue nobody tested me for anything genetic I don't see other cancers in my family should I have genetic testing and you know if it's keep if it's a question that's keeping you up at night or you're worried about it or you're worried about it for your kids um, you could have genetic counseling done and your insurance will pay with a history of cancer your insurance will pay for a genetic counselor and maybe you don't need testing um, or maybe you had your cancer three years ago and you don't remember that you had any any testing but if you talk to your oncologist they'll say oh yeah we routinely do that and we tested your tissue sample and you were negative and then you're like whoo okay but if you don't ask the question you may not get the answer got it so yeah I hope that I hope that helps it's like I think always asking the question and if you don't need testing maybe just the counseling will reassure you or send you on the right path Perfect. We are, gosh, almost out of time. We could talk for hours. Um, (laughs) 
So, Leslie, thank you again so much for being here today. I know you mentioned a couple of resources. American Cancer Society is a good one. Um, I use cancer.org a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just, but like she said, go and go and Google you know, it's these, in, these resources, cancer survivorship in your area, because that's, you know, if you need help and you're not getting it from your oncology team or your primary care, that's where you can go. So Leslie, thank you again so much for being here today. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. She's a wealth of information. You can find um, what she's now doing as well at green-labyrinth.com or on Facebook. You can search for Green Labyrinth Sanctuary. Leslie, thank you again. Um, listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, you can find us at breastfriends.org. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone. You can find our show on many platforms, Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, or search Breast Friends wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you would like to nominate yourself to be a guest, or share a warrior story, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.